When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Reasonable Doubt podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the executive producer and creator of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And my name is Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right, first we start with a plug. 20 seconds into this thing. Tuesday nights, 10 o'clock on Investigation Discovery. Please, please check out uh, Reasonable Doubt if you haven't already. This is a true crime show like no other. Um, this week, we're gonna talk about the uh, Ronnie Denny case, which was a, uh, a really interesting case. But before we get to that, I have to ask my friends and uh, the hosts of the show, how was your week in lockdown? How are you doing, Chris? You're, you're, you got your hat on backwards. You got a yeah. little more facial hair going. What's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Chris, it's, are you insecure about this hair growing out? No, Because you did insecure. an IG live too with your hat on. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm not insecure at all. I just know I look like crap right now. So I am. <laughs> you look so handsome. Well, let me thank see you, the hair. Fatima. Let me I'll see. I'll send you hair. your dollar for the compliment. But Take no, off the hat. no, we are not taking off. I'm also wearing a hat. It is yeah, a monstrosity that's happening here. It's so Wait, bad. this is funny because you two show up all insecure wearing hats for this, like, you know, virtual podcasting. And I showed up with a, a towel on my head from getting out of the shower. That's how much you <laughs> should not is care. It, is it really insecurity or is it just us being honest with ourselves? We look bad. <laughs> so we're right. trying to get yeah. the baddest. Reasonable doubt is all about hard truths. That's right. <laughs> and we are being honest with ourselves right now. So um, um, between one to 10, how sick of this are you? I'm, I'm at an eight. I think this, I think today in particular, I'm really, uh, I'm over it. You're irritated with isolation. Yeah. 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 I'm, kind of, I'm at an eight. How about you? I mean, imagine if you had a wife and kid though. <laughs> I, I'd be at a nine. <laughs> you would definitely be over it. Like you're by yourself. That's right. awesome. 
But then again, I don't know. It might get kind of lonely if I can't be alone that long. Is we all know I need. Well, that's why I Facetime you like three nights ago, (laughs) just so we could chat. Uh, No, I Facetimed you, which is ironic. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you did. (laughs) Chris, one to ten, where are you at? One to ten, I would say I was at a five and a half. Five and a half. Oh, you're you know, I, it, it, yeah, because you know it's it's just me and my wife, and you know my son is here, you know, but it's really just just us two. She goes to work. I have my little play area. She, if she, if, she, if we're both here at home, she's upstairs. I'm downstairs. We'll meet somewhere in the middle to eat dinner <laughs> and eat lunch, and then we go back to our separate spaces. So, yeah. I mean, this is. I this, hate you so much right now, Chris. Life, in, your, I mean. in your upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> Where, what's so, your, what's your let's talk about my situation. <laughs> yeah, what's your? What is your number? Uh, well, my number actually depends on the time of the day because I kind of go through these phases throughout the day. Um, evening, when when you know my husband's done working and we can enjoy and like breathe as a family, I don't have to constantly tell the baby, "Shh, shh daddy's on the phone." Then it's like, oh, it's family hour, you know, we can relax, play music, have a good time. So I'm fine then. I actually appreciate those moments. It's nice family bonding. Um, But it's during the day when he's on all these conference calls and I'm trying to get work done and the baby's just running around like crazy because we are in an apartment in San Francisco and we don't have an upstairs, downstairs like Chris. (laughs) We, We can't just say, hey, babe, you go in that room. I'll see you in a few hours. Nope. We are like stepping on top of each other. So do you get up to a nine or what are we talking about? There are moments, honestly, when I, I'm one of those, when I go to bed at night, Um, and I always pray before I go to bed because I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to give it up to you. Going to relax. And, but then there I am like midnight eyes wide open, like what's going to happen with the world and what's going to happen in a year. And we've talked about this. I start to get this anxiety. It's the Virgo in me. And I'm at like a 10 at that moment. I feel like I got to run outside. Yeah, it's (laughs) claustrophobic. Maybe not streak, but like I just need to run free and like. Doesn't it feel like the walls are closing in? It's like a claustrophobic feeling. It does. It does. I start to kind of like breathe heavily. Look at Chris. Chris can relate to none of this. (laughs) I mean, you know, I just don't. I don't have the anxieties. I mean, you know, Anitra has those same anxieties. She does, but I just, I just don't, don't have them. I just kind of, you know, I plan out my day. And if it doesn't go the way I plan it, I'm going to make sure I get something done. As long as I get something done every single day, I'm fine. Just anything. It could be, uh, you know, changing out the, the light fixtures around my, my, my pond. You know, hey, I, I, you know, that's, that's cool. As long as I got <laughs> I something done. I need to think done. more like that. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's weird is that the only part of this whole COVID scare that doesn't make me anxious is I have no anxiety about getting it. That doesn't bother me at all. I just don't like what's happened to the world. That's strange. I have no fear of getting it. Well, I mean, I'm just not in a age group or I don't have any pre-existing conditions. So I just don't, you know, look, eventually. I mean, but it's still brutal, I hear, even if Well, eventually we're going to, well, 70% of people are asymptomatic. That was, that was a good rebuttal. <laughs> Read the Boston Globe today. There was a whole thing where ultimately, no matter how we do this, we're going to have to get herd immunity. There's no, yeah. we're all going to have to get it. So I'd rather get it now than later. Let's just get it over with. And there you have it, folks. There it is. All right, let's get to the uh, Ronnie Denny case. Yeah, this case, guys, I got to be honest. I, I feel like this could have been a 10-episode series in and of itself. 
And so like I watched the episode, I'm like, wow, okay. There's a lot that we just couldn't include. So, it is so, it is so people intensive. need to listen to this podcast. Yeah. And anytime you've got a missing person murder, I find it so compelling. It's the second one we've done on Reasonable Doubt um, because there's always a lingering doubt, at least from a layman's perspective, like, could this person even still be alive and still be out there? Here's a little bit of background info on the case. New Cordell, Oklahoma, January 27th, 2007. 8 a.m. 27-year-old Melissa Flores calls her sister-in-law after a night out. She tells her she's coming to pick up her kids. She never makes it. Melissa isn't seen or heard from again. Her body has never been found. Melissa leaves behind one clue. Her car is parked in the driveway of her ex-boyfriend, a man named Ronnie Denny. Police search his house, find nothing, and the case goes cold. 2014, a friend of Denny's approaches police and he's ready to talk. Weeks later, Denny, who's now married and has started a new life in Texas, is arrested. 2015, Ronnie Denny goes on trial. Murder cases without a body are very difficult to win. So prosecutors first have to convince the jury that Flores is actually dead and that Ronnie killed her. They prevail and Ronnie is convicted. He is now serving a life sentence with no chance of parole. So it's kind of interesting to me that like, I think up until the turn of the uh, 20th century, um, you couldn't even prosecute someone for murder uh, when there was a bodiless case. Right. Uh, as a investigator, Chris, how hard is it um, to try to investigate a missing persons case where you suspect that the missing person is actually a murder victim? You know, it's extremely hard. As a matter of fact, I have a 20-year-old, uh, 20-plus-year-old. 20 this case is almost going on 30 years old now. Uh, uh, Nobody case. The victim has never been found. And, and, you know, the main reason that it's so hard to prosecute is the first thing you have to establish in a murder investigation, or the first thing that you should establish in a murder investigation, is that the person has been murdered. And it's extremely hard for you to establish that if you don't have a body. So they they are very, very hard. And I think, you know, because of the advances in technology and, sci and the science behind investigations, that has improved uh, or made more uh, district attorneys and more detectives feel more comfortable in prosecuting these cases. But still, that question always lingers. Is this person really deceased? So... Fatima, as this case went on, it became really clear um, that Ronnie Denny, and he admitted it himself, was a hellraiser. He was a drug dealer. Um, he had a bunch of weapons inside the house. I mean, he even admits he was not a good guy. Um, if you're on the defense side, how hard is that to overcome with a jury? It's really hard. Um, I mean, you you want to approach it and and you know, get it out before the prosecution can, that's for sure. Um, and, and you always try to distinguish, you know, what, if the crime is different than the crime that's, you know, being charged now, you want to try to just get it out there and distinguish the difference, right? Um, and, and you hope that there's nothing similar to what the, the charge is now. Uh, because if those, you know, those prior bad acts come in, 
it automatically, uh, you know, creates motive, bias, all of these things, a habit. Um, and so it can be very damaging and it, it makes you nervous when you have to defend someone like that. And in this case, I mean, just to, to name a few uh, of Ronnie's history, it was, um, you know, larceny, possession of drug paraphernalia, like you said, stolen weapons. Um, and what's the number one thing we're going to look for in a case like this, right? Is there a history of aggravated assault or battery? Yeah, there was. So when you have those things, you know, already a part of somebody's past, you can't say this person's not capable of this. There's no way they could have done this. No one's seen this person in anger. No one's seen this person, um, you know, physically harm this other person. But you couldn't use that in that in this case. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know there was a lot about his violent tendencies and even violence towards Melissa. And we didn't bring that up much in the episode, um, but she had many times uh, ran away to her family's house, uh, her brother and her sister-in-laws, because um, she wanted to get away from him. He had threatened her. He had choked her out. A different situation. So it was a really rocky relationship and he definitely was violent towards her. So one of the things that I'm really obsessed with with this case is uh, Chris's interview with Shannon Long. And it just so happened that the night before Melissa went missing, she and Shannon went out. Chris, you don't like coincidences. So when you go into that interview and you know that, is that starting to ring alarm bells for you? Absolutely. You know, um, you know I, I looked at Shannon almost like you know, because there were several things that could lead back to her that pointed towards her uh, in this case. Uh, do I think that she was responsible? Did she clear up everything? No, she, she really didn't clear up everything. But, you know, there were certain circumstances that pointed at her, like the blood in the sheets, like the fact that they really didn't get along or didn't care for each other. But they go out the night that she's, she's, she supposedly had been murdered. Your roommate testified to seeing bloody sheets and bloody handprints in your bedroom. Was she making that up? No, it was my blood. After Melissa left, me and my friend went in my bedroom and we had sex and my nose ring had got ripped out. You know, people are gonna think what they wanna think and I understand the way things look, I get it. I didn't do anything to Melissa and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her. She doesn't deserve to be forgotten. Would I have wanted the sheets? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. that's the most disturbing part is that they just don't go to get the sheets. I mean, well, I think they, I think they did try to get the sheets, but when she, when they, when they went over, she told them that she had washed those sheets, or she had. Right. I, I, I guess what's disturbing is you're aware everybody's telling you, you know, she was with this girl the night before. This girl is, you know, basically the other woman, um, and please don't automatically go to her home. First thing, you know, before mm -hmm. she could get rid of the sheets, they they could have somehow seen that, you know, if we have a missing person. It just seemed like in this case, there was a lot of lagging going on. Uh, I don't think it was taken as serious as it should have from the start. And so there were opportunities missed um, in with when it came comes to the search. And you know, sometimes that happens with these nobody cases. Yeah. So, you know, it, right. I mean, because it starts know. out, it starts out as a missing person's cases. They have a, a an entirely different 
sheet of music that they operate off of than homicide investigators. And I get that. It's just, it's disturbing because you have a mother and yeah. we're not talking about her. She's missing. Her car's missing. You know, possibly she ran away. You know, her car was there. Her items were there. Uh, I mean, a woman's purse and phone are the most important things that she's going to have with her, especially if she's got kids and she's not with her kids. Right. Because right. you want access to your children. You want to be able somebody to get a hold of you if something happens with your kids. So that right there, I felt like personally, the investigation should have um, gone a lot farther than it did. Uh, it, it, it was very slow in the beginning and it allowed time for things to happen um, and such as disposing of the sheets. But, you know, I mean, there was testimony uh, of the, the guy she was with that night, as well as the roommate's boyfriend. Um, and the roommate who said, you know, she saw the bloody sheets, that boyfriend testified one that he, he, they woke him up to move his car because he had to let some girl whose car was parked in front of his out. And it just so happened that girl was Melissa. And he said, I saw her drive away. I had to move my car so she could get out. So, you know, according to those four people, she left the house at 5am. Uh, right. another thing is, you know, uh, the guy she was with that night verified, yeah, we were having crazy sex she hit her head against the wall and her you know nose started bleeding that's wild okay uh, but um you know is it possible it's possible and like chris said she could have lied about it altogether. Mm -hmm. um and i think another thing that stuck with me that i don't know if you and shannon mentioned it in the interview but she at about uh, she goes somewhere uh that morning at about eight o'clock drives past ronnie's house and sees that melissa's, melissa's car. car is there and her and melissa had kind of bonded the night before over ronnie's a jerk he's played us both you know let's do our thing and you know ronnie was pissed about that he was obviously mm -hmm. texting melissa um and so shannon texts melissa and there was a text and it said i guess you went back to him good luck so, you know, that was pretty interesting. She saw the car park there, unless that was fake, you know, could have all been part of this great plan. Um, but if not, it goes to show that, you know, she was surprised to see Melissa's car back at Ronnie's house. Some hell of a planning. So, you know, thinking like Chris Anderson and putting on my Chris Anderson hat, uh, the other woman goes out with the victim the night before, coincidence one. Uh, the other woman has bloody sheets, coincidence two. Uh, the other woman gets rid of those sheets before the police can come, coincidence three, and the other woman just happens to leave the house at eight o'clock and is driving past the spot where the victims disappeared from and then places that text, right? And so remains by Ronnie's side throughout all this. So you could see how the loved ones start spinning and thinking that maybe there's something else going on here. I mean, I, I, I think more than in most cases, I did understand why enough weird stuff had happened that it was making them have a hard time processing what happened in this case. Absolutely. I mean, look, they, yeah, I, I, y'all know me. I hate coincidences. They just don't, they, they don't, they don't fit right. Let's move this along. Fatima, you interviewed Melissa's husband at the time. She was separated. Uh, but not yet legally divorced from Kevin McIlvaney, who was the father of two of her children. She had a third child with uh, Ronnie Denny. And I really thought in a lot of ways he was the heart of this investigation. I, I want to play a little bit of a clip from that interview. So what would you say to his family that maintain he's innocent? He lied to you. 
it was an accident. He come out and was like, man, I did this. It was an accident. I can deal with that. But the lies and the deceit is unforgivable. I hate him. I thought many times, man, I should just go kill him and get it over with. Mm. He took my wife and then he took my kid's life when he, when he killed her. He didn't destroy my life. He destroyed our whole family's life. I couldn't go to a gas station, a grocery store, anywhere without my kids seeing a missing poster of their mother. You know, man, I'm sure we should come home. Yeah, me too, baby. I'm out here having to live life and clean up the mess that he's made. Yeah, let's just clarify now. Yes, he had an alibi. <laughs> uh, the husband had an alibi for that night and, and you know, they, they had looked into him and quickly dismissed him as a suspect. But um, in case that crossed anyone's mind, because he, you know, he, he, he would be naturally a person would, of interest. He would, he would be a person that we looked yeah. at. I mean, in our conversation, the, the way he described himself as the husband, when he said bad husband, I, you know, I remember thinking, oh, tell me more. You know, this is. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Are we talking physical? Uh, but it sounded like as we continued the conversation, he was very young. They had two boys and he just was kind of doing his thing with his friends. And like he said, playing video games and didn't really cherish her like he should have. You know, he painted this picture of Ronnie, which a lot of it we already knew that he, he is this person that a lot of people fear. Um, but it was key to hear what kind of mother Melissa was. And that's important because once again, we're dealing with the missing person. So you always have to think about 
you know, did this person run away? Did this person, um, was she in a physically abusive relationship? And she felt like the only way I'm going to get out of this alive is if I completely disappear. Um, those are things you have to consider here. But when it comes down to it, the way that she's described as a mother, the kind of mother she was, even all of his meth head friends gave statements at trial saying, you know, when we were all at the house, we were always in the back room doing drugs and Melissa was never a part of it. She was always in the front room with the kids. She barely ever came back there. A lot of them didn't really interact with her much because, you know, they, they would say she was very different than Ronnie. I don't, I don't really know what she was doing with Ronnie. She never did drugs. Um, and her kids were her priority. And the fact that that morning she calls her sister-in-law to say, I'm coming to get the kids. Um, you know, I, I just, that right there, just let us know, look, this isn't a woman who would on her own volition, just get up and go. And that, and that's really the one thing that everybody that we talked to, even Ronnie Denny himself agreed with mm -hmm. that she would never have abandoned the kids. Now moving to the prison interview that Chris did with Ronnie Denny, um, Chris, you were, you were on fire in that interview. Um, I want to play a couple of clips. Um, you know, to me, it seemed like Ronnie Denny was doing an okay job explaining things until we got to what happened that morning. And you drilled down on him, and I just think his story kind of started to crumble. How many times did you call Melissa that night? Seven, eight, nine, ten times. What happens next? Probably midnight to one. I went to sleep the next morning. I'll wake up and uh, I'd looked outside and I seen Melissa's car out front. What time was that? Probably in between nine and 10 somewhere. I look around and she's not there. So I'll go out to the car and I look in there. And I, I see she's, or I think her uh, purse was still in there. Uh, the phone that I let her use was still in there. Did you not get worried? Yeah, at that time, I wasn't worried what I was really thinking. You weren't worried? Not at that time. That at that time right there? Yeah. Was, no, at that time, I was thinking that her and Shannon were gone riding around. I think she just parked Without her purse, without her phone. She'd had the phone the, the entire night before. She received all these phone calls from you, and she decides, you know what, I'm going to leave my purse and my phone in the car, and I'm going to go ride out with Shannon. Yeah, I didn't know what she was really thinking. Melissa called her sister-in-law at 8 o'clock that morning and said that she was at your house. Well, she wasn't at my house. I mean, her car How do you know? You were asleep, right? Well, she, yeah. Huh? You know, I hate to say that I got a little pissed, but I got a little pissed. You know, you think about everything that you've heard about this mother, this, 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 this woman, and you think of how, how she was about her children. Am I, am I over reading it that uh, you caught him in a lie? Because when you said, why did, uh, why did no. Melissa call her sister-in-law at 8 a.m. and say she was in your driveway? Well, she wasn't. Well, how would you know that? You were asleep. He had said right. that he was sleeping until night. And that was the exact, that was where I was about to go next. But yeah, yeah, you know, he, he it, it was just, it was so much that happened with Ronnie. I, and I, I, you know, it, it, it did get a little bit heated across that table. And, you know, as I'm looking into his eyes, I noticed that he, he stops doing some of the things that he normally do, did when we talked about his background and talked about his history and talked about how his, uh, his relationship with Shannon, you know, he made very good eye contact with me. He made, he, he you know, I could tell that he was engaged in, 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 uh, in, in he was engaged in that, that conversation. But when we, when his story started falling apart, that's when he lost his engagement with me. 
Another part of the uh, prison interview with Chris and Ronnie that I thought really stood out was, um, Chris, when you really pressed him to explain, if he's innocent, why on earth did he move her car? Here's how it went. So what did you do next? At some point, the cops were sitting down at the corner by my house, and uh, her car was in my driveway, and I was a drug dealer. And the only thing I could think of was like, man, I don't know why they're still here, but I'm going to put it out on the highway and get rid of it. Maybe they'll leave me alone. So your reasoning behind moving her car out of your yard was to avoid police? They were already and, surrounding and, your house. Yeah, and it's to make room in the driveway because I was drug dealing, but obviously I went on a drug deal with cops in front of the house and behind the house. That doesn't make sense, right? And that, that doesn't make sense at all. It's petty. That's what, I mean, that's what it is. It's petty. As an investigator, that doesn't register with me. Right. It doesn't. That looks like you are trying to get rid of evidence. I wasn't trying to get rid of no evidence. You know, every, everything that would have been evidence was still right there in the road, and they see it. <laughs> You've got to admit, your actions that day were very, to say the least, peculiar. But it doesn't mean I did it. Uh, that's one thing. I am innocent. So, Chris, when you're one-on-one -on -one with a convict like that, when you're in a, sort of an interrogation setting, and you sense that someone's being less than truthful, I mean, is that generally the method you start drilling down on the logic and the details of their story to, to see if it falls apart? Absolutely. You, you want to make sure you get hammered in on, on those details. And, and usually if it was a real interrogation, you know, it would be a, a lot more detailed than it was during that conversation with Ronnie. You know, and I, I think by the time that he told me that he was just trying to push the car out into the road because uh, he had drugs, he was a drug dealer. I think that was just complete <laughs> So, you know. <laughs> We're not here to represent these defendants. Um, we're here right. on behalf of the family. And sometimes people think we get too tough. I don't know. Sometimes people think we're too soft. But, right. um, you know, we're doing uh, the, what we feel we need to do to get to the truth. And I think that this family, by the way, um, I think it was hard for them, for Deanna and Stacy, to really take in the truth. I mean, I know that Stacy, in the beginning, when uh, she made her plea, said, look, if you can prove to me uh, that Ronnie did it, then I'll accept that and I'll move on. And I think that you guys really laid out the case for why he was involved in this. And I don't think she was really ready to hear it. I don't think if we had it on videotape and showed it to her, she would even be ready to hear it or accept it then. You know, it, we have these, we have family members that are just, you know, that sometimes they're just not, they don't, they're not going to believe it. They're going to believe in their, their loved one. I, and I, you know, whereas his mother, she, yeah, she, she, she was way more open than, than the sister was, but I just don't think that she was ready to accept anything that we said, unless we were saying Ronnie is innocent. I felt like that's what they were hoping for. And I think the smoking gun was right in front of them. And for me personally, the smoking gun was um, Russell Davis. It, you know, the, the individual, the main witness who testified against him. And uh, obviously when I first even read this case and we, we first took it on immediately as a defense attorney, I, my eyes got big when I heard seven years later, another witness comes forward to say he was a part of it. And this is what happened seven years later. Uh-uh, this is fishy. I don't like it. So what do I do? You know, as the attorney, I look into, um, okay, 
what what crimes was this person facing? Did they have an incentive to lie? Um, you know, why? How much were police harassing this person? You know, is there any way that this person seven years later is coming back to say these things and and it actually be truthful? Um, because it's just time that much time it just doesn't smell right. But after we dove into this case um, and I learned a lot more about Russell. I think he was the smoking gun and I don't know if his family's ever going to come to terms with it, but he's subpoenaed basically to the grand jury. And at that time he gets an attorney and he tells his whole story and it's seven years later, he's telling his whole story. And so why is he telling a story? Well, the interesting thing was that he had no, he was facing no more crimes. He went into rehab, he had cleaned his life up and um, he got this subpoena seven years later and decides to come forward with it because he's remarried, he's got a kid. And he, he says, I figured if I was gonna go to jail, I had to go to jail now while my, while my daughter was still little. Um, that way I would get out and, you know, she would know who I was and she wouldn't be bitter and angry with me. So uh, his wife testified at trial too, saying, look, I didn't, I didn't know the person he was before, but he told me this happened and we decided we had to call an attorney and he had to tell the truth because he was ready to face whatever he had to face in order to finally tell the truth about what he helped do, which was get he got no, that body. But he got no deal. Well, this is, well, actually, uh, he was, he, he testified at the grand jury first, not knowing what he would face, literally implicated himself in this crime, yeah. accessory after the fact. And then it, it's not until later before the actual trial that they, uh, he takes a plea agreement and the plea agreement is eight years. It's suspended. So he, you know, had probation, he got lucky. Uh, but when he testified at the grand jury and said what he helped do, he did not have a deal. Um, and he had no other crimes. So really, why would this person come forward and implicate themselves if they really didn't have anything they were facing? So that's what, you know, I'd hope the family would truly understand is, you know, he knew details and information that a lot of other people corroborated. Russell says, well, he told me, you know, that he shot her and she, he was holding her in his arms and she said, I still love you. And, you know, he said he felt like she forgave him. And then he rolled her up in the rug and put her in the big trunk case that she had, that um, she actually had when she was married to, to the other guy. See, it's those little details that make people way more believable. It's those, those, those small little details. Oh, he rolled her up in the, in the rug, the rug's missing. Oh, he put her in the trunk. Mm -hmm. Uh, the trunk's missing. See, though, it, those are the things that make people much more believable. Yeah, and I think that the other thing that it seemed to weigh heavily for you guys uh, in your deliberations was the call to the sister-in-law because that really put her right at the scene, put mm -hmm. her right at Ronnie Denny's house. So any theories about something happening in Shannon Long's house um, with the blood in the bedroom, that kind of went away when we are able to put her at Ronnie Denny's house at 8 a.m. Exactly. That's the thing that, that put it to bed for me. All right. Well, joining us right now, Kristen Fatima is really, I thought, uh, a big part, a big, uh, really the heart of this investigation. Uh, Melissa's uh, husband at the time uh, that she went missing, uh, Kevin. Uh, thanks for joining us, Kevin. Hey, no problem. So, so Kevin, I just really wanted to find out, like, um, it's probably been about eight months speaking to Fatima. And I know some of this was very painful and reliving these memories. I mean, 
did you walk away from it feeling uh, like you got some stuff off your chest? Uh, I was an emotional mess for about two or three days afterwards. But uh, after that, yeah, it's just uh, it's soothing, you know, to let because uh, nobody would ever asked me how I felt. Period. Period. And and that's uh, that's the saddest part about it was uh, um. And I just felt that she needed to be expressed in a, the best way possible because she's the mother of my children and they deserve the best. And so that's all it was really about. Really about. And, and, you know, uh, you know, like I said, I sat in, through some of the trial and I thought, man, it was just, it was just, a, it's, it's just a mess. It's like, it was a waste of time. I just couldn't believe it. You know, a long overdue trial that it was just, wow. Wow. And it was just sad, you know? And, uh, um, you know, if it would have been easier if it was in the old times when they were just hanging, you know, and back in the old days, hey, he did it, we all knew he did it, and it was done. But, and, uh, you know, the hardest part is still not knowing where our body's at and, and being able to have rest for the boys and a place for them to actually have a uh, a place to mourn to if they want to or, or something like that. It's it's uh, it's hard to raise kids knowing that something bad happened to their mom and they'll never see her again and there's there's nothing that can be done about it. Hey, Kevin, it's Fatima here. Um, No, I just, I I personally wanted to thank you again, because, um, you know, I I can't even imagine how emotionally tolling it is to have to bring this all up again and and have that conversation. You are so raw and open with us. Um, So, you know, we really appreciate that because it gave us, you know, a little more about Melissa. This is this yeah. is Chris. We didn't get to meet during the recording, but it's good to talk to you now. I feel like yeah. I know you because I sat I sat through and watched the interview, and it was very, just like Fatima said, it was very raw. I think in a lot of times, in a lot of these cases, uh, we don't get to hear uh, that type of emotion or, or, or have somebody that can speak for the actual victim in this case. So I think it was great for you to come on, and we appreciate you for doing that. Well, you know, that's just, you know, it's, it's an emotional subject for me and, and I'm going to, uh, you know, I won't let anybody ever disrespect, um, my boy's mother, you know, and she was just a good person. And, it was, uh, it was just a, it's a tragedy what happened. And, uh, Kevin, as you, as you, of- as you, as you saw when Chris and Fatima, um, tried to tell the family that this is a fight that they probably shouldn't be waging and that, uh, justice really probably was served in this case. Um, you know, the family really wasn't ready to hear it. Do you, do you have any hope that at some point, uh, Deanna, Stacy, Ronnie will accept what happened and, and move on? That is up to Ronnie. That isn't up to me. Uh, I've, I used to hate Ronnie's guts for what he did. And now after years and years and years and years and, and watching my kids grow up, and uh, he'll never get that. And uh, I feel sorry for him. That I wish he would have confessed to what he did. And then it could have been dealt with reasonably. If, if, he, if he would have just told the truth for what it was and everything, it would have been a different story. He would have never contacted me if he would have told the truth. Period. But he chose that path. And he did what he did. And he chose to cover up what he did. And he's going to pay for it. But as far as will, wishing ill, I, I don't. I feel sorry for him, and I hope the best for his family because it's hard to deal with something like that. 
you know. Uh, but Ronnie has to bring himself to, to his terms with his own parents. Be like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I was a fool. I was a child. I was just dumb. I was on drugs. There had to be some excuse the devil was in. There was some stupid excuse why he did what he did. A lot goes on out here in Western Oklahoma that just flies by, you know. Uh, the sad part is, is Melissa is not the only case where bad things have happened over stupid reasons, drugs or whatever, and it just kind of gets swept under the rug. Uh, I have a good friend of mine who his mother was murdered, and it was 18 years later. The guy confessed, yeah, I did this, and this is where she got you know, and that's the best hope that I can have in this situation when I think about it. But I try not to think about uh, what could or shouldn't happen in this case. Well, and, hopefully uh, one day he does come forward. If, if he has that information yeah. to give, then hopefully right. he comes forward with it. Kevin, I, I really want to thank you for not only sharing your story during the investigation, but calling us now and giving us a little bit of an update. So our thoughts are with you. and. Uh, and and thank you. Hopefully, hopefully, you and a lot of the players in this case would at some point something will happen where you guys can have some uh, closure and some peace. Wow! Yeah, that's a that's a that's a large large statement right there. We'll, but we'll figure it out, won't we? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, but thank you guys for uh, allowing the story to be told. Thank you, Thanks, Kevin. Kevin. Absolutely. All right. Take uh -huh. care. Bye bye. Take, All right. Take care. If you're getting this podcast today, on Tuesday, the day it comes out, please make sure to watch a new episode tonight at 10 o'clock on Investigation Discovery. And it's a really sad and complicated case. Um, it is a woman who uh, died uh, when a bomb exploded in her front door. And the convict was her ex-boyfriend, but seemed to have a rock solid alibi. It's a really complicated, interesting but tragic case so uh please check that out and next week on the podcast we will discuss that um my name is rob rosen i'm the executive producer and creator of reasonable doubt and my name is detective chris anderson i'm a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of reasonable doubt and i'm fatima selva criminal defense attorney and co-host of reasonable doubt all right that does it for us this week everybody stay safe stay home we'll see you next tuesday Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.